Hey guys, this is Ishai Breslauer and welcome to the CRE Shark Eye Show where we discuss commercial real estate. On Mondays, we dive deep into an asset class and on Thursdays, we go into some inspirational stories for the weekend. Can't wait to start. Let's go. Hey guys, before we continue, I would like to introduce you to the seven day CRE challenge, which will introduce you to commercial real estate and will show you that anyone can do this. Also, I have the free cheat sheet for commercial real estate with the six best secrets for commercial real estate. You can download it free. Just click below or above wherever it is and get it. Let's continue. Hi guys, this is Ishai Breslauer, the CRE Shark Eye Show, where we discuss commercial real estate on a high level, a beginner level, every level that everyone who's excited about this field should and be here listening to this. And today's show is really awesome and unique. Every show is awesome and unique. But today we have uh, Randy Blankstein, who is a really, he's a veteran in commercial real estate. He's a veteran of net leases. And uh, you want to hear him. You want to hear what what's going on there. You want to hear how to do it. You want to hear the front end of net leases from a guy who's doing it for no less than 30 years. Okay, so without further ado, I'm going to bring in Randy Blankstein. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate it for you to be a part of this show. Our honor. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me. Excited to be on Shark Eye and, uh, you know, offer what I can to the listeners. Um, you know, from a veteran in 30 years, you make me seem like an old man, but I'll, but I'll accept it as wisdom at this point. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's a positive thing. So let me ask you this. First of all, you know, before we start... And, there's a lot to talk about. We're going to discuss a lot of stuff today, okay? But, um, and, uh, you know, if you could just tell everybody on the surface just what you do, um, very short and very briefly, we're going to dig in later, uh, what you do, and then we're going to hear how you get into it and how you started up going all the way back, if you remember anything, <laughs> you know? Let's I'll, do this. I'll try to remember back in the day, but. Yeah, um, go ahead. You know, quickly, um, and we'll go through the, the whole story later, but I'll just give you the, the quick summary, which is, um, you know, after I graduated college, went to work in uh, a commercial real estate firm and did kind of a tenant rep and a few other things. And it kind of led me into this net lease world existing, that it existed in the first place. Um, so after doing it for a few years at a, at a larger firm, which has now been bought by JLL, um, in 1997, started my own company called The Boulder Group which is a boutique investment real estate service company that specializes in, you know, single tenant net lease investment sales. So that is really, you know, the investment sale of properties like Walgreens, Home Depot, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, McDonald's, you know, that's kind of what we do on a day to day basis. That's what we've always done. And that's all we do. I mean, we don't do, you know, we don't do leasing, we don't do development, we don't do property management. We just focus on single tenant net lease investment sales. Um, and that, that's kind of been, you know, my whole career at this point. It's amazing. You know what? I heard from a, a firm, a guy I'm pretty close to, and they have like a big fund that they do uh, retail. That's what they do. And uh, I remember I once discussed with him, how about going with me with something else? And I offered him something else. He said to me, Yishai, listen, um, retail is our bread and butter, and that's all we eat. That's <laughs> what he said. So I hear you. When you say that's all I do, net leases, so that makes a lot of sense. And uh, that's how you get a pro. You get focused on something. Tell me something. So, um, okay, you got into this field. You got into net leases. Um, 
take us a little bit into your business. What do you guys really do there um, on a day-to-day basis? Who are your clients? Who wants to buy net leases? Tell me a little bit. Sure. So, um, you know, in basic terms, you know, we help buyers and sellers of these single tenant net lease properties, um, you know, either, either acquire them or dispose of them. So on the disposition side, you know, our clients are typically probably not the coming year because there hasn't been a lot of new development in the last year, but typically, you know, developers, a lot of new developers do programmatic ventures with, um, you know, certain clients such as, you know, Chick-fil-A, McDonald's, Starbucks, except Dollar General, anybody who's expanding and they, um, you know, typically as part of their business model, sell the property upon completion. So there's always a portion of the market, which is development based. Uh, again, going to be lesser this coming year because not a lot of new, new development in 2020. Um, you know, most of our clients though are kind of high net worth investors who or family offices who buy these properties. A lot of them in 1031 exchanges, which is a tax law that lets you, um, buy and sell a property without paying the capital gains at the time. It defers it down the road. So that's our bread and butter type of clients. But we clearly have, besides for developers, besides for the high net worth group, you know, institutional buyers and sellers. So, you know, there's there's a lot of REITs in the space. There's some insurance companies um, and there's some other kind of, you know, hedge funds and other people in the space that are a part of it. So, again, we're more, more focused on the individual investor buyer type of thing than um, than developers or REITs. And that just happens to be, you know, the largest, the private buyer tends to be the largest share of the market, at least for now. Um, you know, again, on, on the buy side of it, which is a lesser part of our business, the, the, the representation of, of the selling the property is the fundamental part of it. Um, on the buy side is a lot of people in 1031 exchanges buying, multi, selling multifamily properties, you know, getting a little bit older in age and looking for kind of passive income as they head towards retirement. So they were active landlords in some major metro they own some multifamily buildings decide it's time to retire and are tired of the active management part of it want to downscale their small business or company that they own and you know buy these property just collect the checks every every month and kind of you know use that as their retirement income that's a typical scenario that we have so okay so we have a lot of people always that listen that are you know savvy and they do that and they're already looking for those properties and they know what the benefit of those properties you know, they, they know what it is and they want to get to it. But those people who don't know that yet, they're asking yourself, what is really the net lease? What is it really? If you could get to deep aspect about that lease, explain. Meaning, yeah, I know that for the listeners, they hear the from reason the, like you. So, the reason they're so popular is because, you know, unlike traditional real estate, you know, you have to deal with vacancies and lease up. And, and constant tenant rollover and other things if you own a strip center or, or other or other active management property multifamily you know typically net lease are for the most part freestanding buildings a lot of investment grade tenants and a lot of long-term leases you know the net lease part is that the tenants now paying you know taxes cam and insurance those are all tenant responsibilities for the most part there's some leases that are double net where landlord has roof and structure responsibility but for the most part they're triple net leases so there's really no, they're more of a financial investment than a real estate investment because there's no active part that the landlord has to do on a, on a daily basis. You know, there's a roof problem, the tenant fixes it. There's an insurance issue again on the tenant and the taxable goes directly to the tenant. So as a landlord, you're really just a financial investor in the property. You're not an active manager of the property. And that's what the particular appeal is, especially to um, the older set who's looking for retirement and isn't looking for 
a lot of active, you know, calls right. and other responsibilities to do. So it fits well with retirement and fits well with kind of passive investors. And it even fits well with newer investors because, you know, you can walk into being in the real estate field without having to do all the responsibilities, without having to hire management companies, without right. having to create your own company. So again, it's kind of the safest and easiest way to get into commercial real estate field. You know, the negative is, is obviously it's less higher return than, than a value add or opportunistic thing. You know, clearly if you buy a piece of land and, and you develop it and you get a tenant there, you know, clearly there's, there's much greater financial rewards to do something like this. This is more about conservative. This is more about protecting your money. This is the bond market equivalent of the equity market. Right. You know, it's your safe, conservative cash flow, you know, and, you know, value add and opportunistic is more stocks that has greater upside, but greater downside. So this is the conservative part of the commercial real estate world. I think it's different between a net lease and a ground lease. Yes. Um, you know, so the difference is, um, and I'll bring in leasehold as well, which is, you know, in a leasehold, you own the building, but not the land. So you get the cash flow, you can get 100% depreciation, but at the end of the day, so you get a higher yield as well. But ultimately, the ground, the building reverts back to the ground lease owner eventually down the road. Um, in a fee simple ownership, which is the most common, you own the building and the land, um, which is more traditional real estate ownership. And then in right. ground leases, you own the ground under the building. The tenant pays rent to you, and at the end of their lease term, which could be 20 years, and with options maybe 60 years, you know the the building reverts to you as well. Clearly, it's the safest because you have the lowest basis. Um, but the negative, obviously, is it it, it offers the least. Um, return and also there's no depreciation on the ground lease because you're pretty much on land. Again, you know, we only, the only direct relationship we have with the tenants, uh, because again, these are usually the tenants already occupying or the developments built it for them and there's a lease in place. So we don't deal a lot with the tenant side other than in the sale lease spec market where, you know, a lot of smaller franchisees and, and some larger companies, um, you know, do sale lease back to their properties. And, and obviously when we offer them, they do, you know, new terms, 20 year transact, 20 year deals. And they're trying to, you know, get the real estate off of their books and just focus on the brand, which is what Wall Street rewards at the moment for, um, you know, their company fundamentals. People think that if you're buying, you know, a certain company, be it Home Depot or what have you, that you want to buy that company. You don't want to be buying their real estate. They're, they should be focused on their brand and their stores and expanding, not on, on not on their real estate portfolio. So, you know, a lot of retailers specifically have, you know, moved real estate off of their balance sheet via sale leaseback. Right. Let me, uh, let me go back a little bit. What are the steps you have to look at? How do you evaluate net lease when you're getting into it for the first time and kind of what are the steps? So look, I, I think okay. you know, obviously the first part is you evaluate what kind of equity you have to invest. Um, and typically people leverage these properties in the 60 to 65% range. So, you know, if, if you have $300,000, you're probably looking at a you know, $900,000 or a million or a million dollar property. So once you kind of get your your aspects of that involved, you kind of target a certain return, whether it be 6%, 6.5%, um, how much leverage you want to use, and kind of, you know, how long the lease term you want to do, which is, you know, most people want 10 years, some people want 15 year terms. Um, you know, clearly you can buy shorter terms, but shorter terms offer higher reward. But again, shorter terms have rollover risk. And a lot of people don't want to get into this business immediately and have rollover risk. So you know, you kind of want your first property to be, you know, on the smaller side, typically investment grade, typically a longer term lease. A lot of people who are starting out look at kind of smaller properties, which is Dollar General Family, Family Dollar, Sherwin-Williams, um, to kind of get into the market. And they're looking for, you know, they're looking for good traffic counts. 
They're looking for, you know, growth areas that they can get into. And they're looking for locations where they think the store either has proven well or does proven well and has a good trade area and lack of competition and is info to some extent that, you know, the tenant can't go and easily replace the site uh, somewhere else down the street at the end of the lease term. And that, you know, will perform well over time and hopefully your tenant renews, which is which is the goal of this to invest in these in the first place. Um, you know, a lot of now people are getting into, these into, you know, the non-renewal scenario, which is very uncommon, but does happen occasionally. You have to still look at real estate values, um, you know, but your, your first investment, I think um, a lot of people go to dollar stores as a way to get into this market. Look, on a five-year lease, clearly one thing you're going to look at is, you know, two things you, right off of the bat, which is, you know, store sales. You want to make sure your store sales ratio that it's, you know, doing average to better than the company average and that the um, rent is is at or below market um, because clearly you want to protection from one is renewal probability. Obviously, if strong store sales give you a high renewal probability and, you know, low to mid market rent gives you a better negotiating position for the renewal if they don't exercise their option or be for replacement tenants. So those are kind of two things you look at off the bat. Obviously, like I said, you need to go back to real estate fundamentals, which is, you know, traffic counts, vacancy, demographic growth, um, you know, type of building, and then, you know, roof age, parking lot age, things, things of that nature when you get to a shorter term. Um, you want to understand what your residual position is in the event of a tenant non-renewal scenario. Tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about what tenants, because I know we have pharmacies, we have supermarkets, we have what what is the typical net lease tenant that you guys are going to deal with, and uh, the type of credit? What's what are the pros, the cons? Can you walk through this a little bit? Yeah. So the most in demand tenants today are obviously the essential tenants that have you know endured during COVID, which is grocery stores, drug stores, dollar stores, and anything deemed essential. You know, convenience, gas stores, etc. Have you know fared well during COVID, and that's clearly you know they're essential. A lot of them are investment grade. You know, that's clearly where kind of the demand is. Um, you know, grocery stores are obviously larger price points from, you know, six to $15 million primarily. Um, again, dollar stores are in the, in the one to $2 million range. You know, drug stores are kind of the four to $8 million range. Um, and convenience stores can be from, you know, two to 5 million for the most part. Um, you know, and each one kind of has, you know, different risk, different risk reward profile. You know, dollar stores, um, again, investment grade, 15 year leases. Um, people like them a lot, good price points, million to $2 million. You know, the, neg the negative is some of them are in, in, in tertiary markets, um, which causes concern for reuse down the road. Um, right. You know, of course, um, you know, gas station C stores, people like their hard corners, signalized intersections, um, you know, very essential, but you know, some people think down the road, electric vehicles are going to gain a greater market share. And, you know, maybe maybe 20 years from now, there could be a different business model between um, oil and electric vehicles. So, you know, that, that's a factor that overlays the market on a longer term perspective. I don't think it changes things in the short to medium term, but longer term, electric vehicles are certainly on the table. Um, you know, pharmacies and drugstores clearly have done um, very well during the pandemic. You know, but again, I think the concern is, look, Amazon's getting into that market and while you know the front of the front of the house um is where they kind of make their money not necessarily prescriptions prescriptions is what drives the traffic <laughs> um right you know the concern is what's their right footprint moving forward meaning should they have an atm in there should they partner with someone else what, what's the selection of food versus um 
you know, non-prescription drugs. So again, I think there's, you know, business model concerns regarding, um, you know, kind of changing floor prints in the, in the future, but you know, people like them. A lot of them are hard corners. A lot of them are signalized intersections and, you know, a lot of people use these as convenience stores as well. So, um, you know, we're pretty bullish on the drugstore sector in general. Um, you know, but even in that sector, I mean, look, there's two strong players, Walgreens and CVS and Rite Aid is kind of a, a third tier player with more risk. <laughs> um, you know, some people think they'll get, they'll get dived up and bought by one of the two others and split up. Um, other, you know, there's questions about how they survive as an ongoing entity, but they certainly have some strong locations and some weak locations, but, you know, much more real estate focused as a buyer in at least a Rite Aid properties than I would be, you know, CVS and Walgreens. So, okay. So I want to talk about, before we go into the whole, what happened during COVID and after, and now what, what we're looking at, uh, I have a last question about this. If I have a tenant, but it's not a national, let's say it's a franchisee. Okay. It's a private guy. Could be a beautiful big name. It's nice. How if there's if it's not a public company and I can't open up you know the regular uh, Yahoo Finance and start digging in, how do I check it out? Um, so look, there's a lot of QSRs that trade, and a lot of them are franchisee. Um, I do anything from you know regional brands like Culver's to national brands like you know KFC, Burger King, Wendy's, etc., Taco Bell. Right. Um, you know, more than even more important than the tenants' financials of the small players is their actual store sales. Because if you have strong store sales on a rent-to-sales basis and an absolute basis, you know, that that even if the franchisee doesn't do well at some of their other locations <laughs> and doesn't, you know, doesn't is financially challenged and in bankruptcy, et cetera, you can be confident that they keep this location open because it comes down to individual store performance. And in bankruptcy court, where you have the option of you know letting go some stores. You can feel confident despite the financials of the parent that your individual store is a performer and thus will be renewed so i would look at store performance first um, but b most tenants are required to a report store sales and b um, give you some of their financials you may not get it immediately in your due diligence but you you typically will get it or you should get it if you don't obviously that causes a much greater concern because um, right. you're speculating on what the financials are um, and you probably didn't get into this business to be speculating on someone's financials um, so again, I think you really need to focus on the individual store sales first, and then you kind of need to iron out the, you know, the franchisee risk. And, you know, in general, I think it's better to start with franchisees who are 15 or 20 units or more, you know, obviously, you know, one to five unit franchisee are really just a different version of mom and pop with a different brand. Um, right. Up, exactly. up um, so it's certainly better to have some brand versus no brand, but you're back to buying a mom and pop and you need to just make sure that the, a, the store performs and B, you know, you're getting compensated for that risk because you're certainly not buying, um, you know, a, a major player. Tell me something. When you buy that kind of player, right? When you go and you look at that and you actually look at the financials, like you say, and that's the last question about this. How far back do you look at? Like in, in multifamily, we look at T12. Um, what would you, you do? You look at, you look at three-year history. And you okay. Kind of, you, want back. To, okay. you want to a normalize it and b kind of look at the trend. <laughs> um, you know, you want to just look and make going sure up, going, yeah. and make sure that it's the right trend. I mean, you know, what, what happens three years isn't that material, but if it's you know if you're down ten percent three years in a row, there's something wrong with the business, and you need to figure out what it is and you know the additional risks that you're taking. So, you know, but again, for store sales though, even though you get three years of store sales different than the financials, you know, you still got to look at the trend as well. Meaning, 
is, is this area or competition what has changed you need to figure out what what the issue is okay cool okay let's shift gears a little bit we know what happened to the world a couple of months ago it's it's already been actually a year ago can you believe that it's unbelievable so um a year ago the world went upside down on us and what happened to you guys meaning you see deals and you have a plan for two uh, you know 2020 and everything's going okay and boom this pandemic hit how did it affect you meaning you guys in terms of your world of net leases if you could tell us about that a little bit yeah so the first quarter of last year was extremely strong I mean if people remember back you know pre-march <laughs> Um, you know, January sounds like another century, but okay. Yes, but January and February were very strong last year, and you know the consensus opinion was that this problem was kind of isolated to a few areas of the world and maybe not necessarily going to be um, impacting the United States to the extent that it did. Um, so it started out very strong. You know, in the second quarter, you know, obviously March was kind of the terrible month when it um, <laughs> arrived in full. You know, people closed deals that were started in January and February. So the first quarter ended very strong last year. You know, the second quarter, everyone froze because no one kind of has a pandemic playbook or understood what the impacts were going to be. So the path to the least resistance was to start no new deals. No one understood what things should trade at. You know, lenders froze, buyers froze, sellers right. didn't want to take discounts. So Q2, you know, volume was down 30 to 40 percent. <laughs> um, very small market. Um, Wow. People, that, uh, people that needed to sell, people just didn't understand what the pricing should be and what risk they were taking as a buyer. And no one knew if they had to raise money and, and what tenants were going to stop paying. I mean, there was just tons of uncertainty in the air. Um, you know, by Q3, people understood kind of what we were dealing with and, you know, that it was going to take a while to resolve and kind of, you know, start to get their feet back in. But when they got their feet back in, they decided, look, we're, we're going to be kind of risk adverse and we're going to go after you know, tenants that are deemed essential, tenants that are open, tenants that are performing well, again, drugstores, grocery stores, drive-thru yeah. locations, you know, investment-grade tenants, long-term leases. I'm happy to get back in the market. But I'm not going to take any risk. And, you know, we're certainly not going to be buying a um, a health club or a movie theater and things which we don't even understand the future, maybe even today of. Um, you know, those things just fell out of favor. The market bifurcated. People were back, you know, paying premiums for certain things you know, a McDonald's or a Chick-fil-A drive-through, people thought that this is a great thing to own during the pandemic and afterwards. So that market continued on again. So the third quarter kind of pulled it out. By the fourth quarter, you know, people said, okay, I'm only buying, you know, the best stuff, but I'm happy to buy it. This is what's out there. And, you know, people went very strong. Fourth quarter finished very strong. Um, Buyings were great. It, it was, <laughs> um, you know, if you had anything that was on the right side of things of the investment grade essential, you know, you did extremely well. Um, you know, this year, the theme is still playing on, look, the best stuff is still trading in the, and, and, and stuff like health clubs and, and movie theaters. People still don't understand what it looks like post COVID, meaning how many people go back to the gym, what, how many movie theaters have to reopen, do people's habits stay the same? So there's just a lot of people sorting out, but they say, nah, better wait and see, you know, if 20% less people go to the gym, you know, this gym can't afford this rent. Maybe I don't want to take the risk on it. Um, so people are playing wait and see with that. And, you know, you're just seeing less volume this year because a lot of people don't want to sell because they don't understand where they're going to go with the proceeds. So, you know, people are going to hold on that and be, you know, there wasn't a lot of new development started last year. So, you know, for a lot of reasons, I think you're going to see a down volume year, even though cap rates are going to probably stay the same, just a down volume year because 
there's just a lack of, of, of things driving it. I think people really want to see COVID come to an end, not talk about come to an end. So we'll see how the vaccine distribution goes. Tell me about that. And, and we'll see how the vaccine distribution goes and we'll see how people's habits return. And I think once, you know, once we see that and the timing of that, um, you know, the market will be robust after that. But I think a lot of people are still playing wait and see because, you know, a lot of people think with the different variants and other things that this could go on longer than they want it to. We're talking about movie theaters and, and maybe the ones that didn't make it. You know, clearly mm -hmm. the ones which companies are still solvent, um, they have leases, they're paying the rent uh, until they file for bankruptcy and disclaim your lease. So you're still collecting the rent from, from the movie chain company. Um, you know, the ones that don't make it, obviously there's not a lot of good reuses for movie theaters. So, you know, they're going to be scraped and people are going to look at land values for them. Um, you know, luckily, you know, there's a lot of density in um, a lot of movie theater locations. And as long as zoning is okay, you know, these are, these are large parcels of land which allow large, you know, multifamily and other, other developments, um, assuming they can get rezoned. And, you know, I, I think they're good value plays um, from a real estate perspective, certain ones of them. Um, but again, I think you need to understand if your tenant is viable or not after this. And, you know, I think with, with certain companies like AMC, um, you know, why they're having filed for bankruptcy and why they're still solvent, you know, you're still collecting the rent and you don't have a problem, even though they may not be operating today yet or operating in your capacity. Okay, so going forward, where do you think we're going? Okay, everything happened, fine. We're looking at the future. As you said, people want to talk about what is actually, you know, not talk about the pandemic over, but actually having the pandemic over. What are we looking at going forward? What type well, of market? I think the pandemic only just really what it was is an accelerator of what was going to happen anyway. So right. I think certain companies with bad business models, JCPenney, um, instead of taking several years to run into troubles, it accelerated. And, right. and certain companies that have to downsize, you know, things accelerated. And certain categories which had troubles, sporting goods, <laughs> um, you know, had to shrink their business model. So again, I think these things were going to happen anyway, and Amazon was going to gain market share. But instead of happening over a three to five year time, it happened over a three to five month time. So we kind of got what we were going to get and we just got there a lot sooner. So you know, in my mind, that's good news because if it was going to happen anyway, <laughs> better to just rip off the Band-Aid and take the pay now and, and kind of move on. Um, so that's um, why bad for some, probably good for the market as a whole. But overall, you know, this freestanding market and NetLease specifically has a really bullish case for, for a few reasons. You know, one, there is a aging demographic looking for fixed income. And in a world of a low bond yield and other alternatives, you know, net lease looks to a lot of people like um, a way to instead of get a 1% yield on a 10 year treasury to right. up a, you know, five to 7% on a net lease via REIT or whatever um, vehicle or direct investment. Um, so it's a yield pickup. So I think as long as you have, you know, a large baby boom generation looking for retirement, looking for income, it bodes positive. Again, net lease is the bonds of real estate. And I think so that yield will continue to be in favor. So I think that's a positive trend. You know, the real other great trend for, for this is that freestanding properties kind of held up during this during this time. And so I think you're going to see, you know, things with drive-throughs. I think any tenant that's in a fast food tenant or any restaurant that is in a, you know, a strip center or a mall, they're going to want a freestanding property. They're going to want the visibility. They're going to want a drive-through. And again, the drive-through is not just for customers. It's also for, you know, delivery services, DoorDash, et cetera, um, to come pick it up. So again, I think drive-throughs are um, 
you know, everybody's going to want their drive-through. And thing. You're pick and, up. Yep. And then B, I think that you know a lot of these enclosed malls um, that are having trouble with their anchor tenants and other things. Their movie theaters are now closing. The, the case is kind of getting worse for these huge enclosed malls. I think what you're going to find is the best tenants in these malls move out to freestanding locations. So I think you're going to see Apple move out, have their own store, don't need to be part of the mall. Lululemon, same thing. So, you know, the 10 or 15 best tenants in, in traditional malls are going to go out, have their own stores, have freestanding locations. People like it. It's quicker to go to. It's more visibility. And people aren't spending time at the mall like they used to. So I think a lot of these tenants all want to go out, be on their own, be freestanding. And I think so, you know, all these malls that are in trouble, you know, maybe half the tenants don't make it, but the, one, the good ones, you know, they're all going to want freestanding locations and all the new parts of the NetLease market. Again, Apple and Lululemon, just to use examples, are kind of there now. They have some freestanding locations. I, I see a future where they could have all freestanding locations. So I'm, that's the bullish case for NetLease. Right. Let's let's defer a little bit. Meaning, I, I want to go a little bit to a place that you are actually not so much in, and that's the place of where the malls are. Okay, because it's somewhat related to what you do. Um, you're in the retail business. Let me ask you this: in the retail, obviously, real estate business, what what is the future of those things? So many white elephants out there. What's going to happen? Well, look, I, I think the retail industry. Um, you know, the perfect business model people have found is omni-channel, which means if it's omni-channel, certainly online is taking a share of your business. And certainly if you're a big box retailer called Bed Bath & Beyond, um, you know, your the advantages of the big box was that you had everything and you had this amazing selection and there was a reason to, to be at the store and get every last thing. Now- And also they have both online platforms, meaning in addition yeah, to- And, and now, of course there's an online platform. But my point is, I think the store is going to be more about convenience and about best-selling items and, you know, some unique and obscure items, you know, people don't necessarily need the store for. Maybe they move that some of that business online. So I think you're going to see a lot of big backs footprints shrink because <laughs> I think people want, you know, A, the convenience of it. They're going to look to lower the real estate cost and right. people are going to want to walk in the last second, get the best-selling items, but some obscure items, you know, they can get that online. That's, that's okay a little bit later. So I think everyone's kind of balancing, you know, how they work out, what's convenient, what's quick for them, what's on the people's way home. You have to make yourself better than re than than internet only, right? Otherwise, people will go internet only. Yes, there's an experience part of it, but I'm saying from the convenience part of it, um, there's a reason to it as well. But you know, look, the, the bottom line is you're going to see a omni-channel model. I think people realize some of the negatives that people don't talk about of, you know, internet only are returns. <laughs> A lot of people, you know, order the thing, comes in the wrong size, or they have to order two parts, and then they're returning and they have to take it to the store. So you end up maybe not saving any time um, by ordering things online versus, you know, going quickly, trying on to make sure you have the right size and have it. Plus, you don't have some of the immediate availability, which is I'll stop on the way home, I'll get it, and I'll, I'll use it tonight or wear it tonight, whatever the, whatever the case may be. So, you know, obviously, Omnichannel is the winner at the end of the day, and there's going to be some winners and some losers. Again, I think a lot of prototypes are going to change. Um, but again, I think, um, and some, like I said, people are going to move from enclosed malls to freestanding locations. So that's going to change as well. Um, and, and some of these businesses, you know, had problems before the internet existed, which is the U S on a per square foot basis has more retail than the rest than anywhere else in the world. Um, and so that was a trend that retail was going to come down over time anyway. Um, and again, you know, now it's being expedited between COVID and between, um, you know, e-commerce. 
you know, the U.S. is going to have less retail square footage going forward. I don't think it's going to be dramatic, but it's it's certainly going to be less than it is today. Well, a lot of things are happening. A lot of things are happening in the world. Tell me something. Just uh, to, for the sake of interest, you know, we're always on Thursdays. Uh, you know, people are a little, even though they love what we do, we all love what we do. We're going for the weekend. We're a little bit tired, as we call it. We want some inspirational stuff. You have a cool story. You have 30 years of experience. Uh, if you can uh, have pull out some one of those uh, experiences that you had, some crazy deal that you were involved in, something really unique that you want to tell us. Um, I don't know if there's a unique deal necessarily. Again, Netlease deals are more situation. Uh, yeah, are, are, are less um, unique than like multifamily with with certain character owners and and certain things that you found in due diligence. I mean, they're more cookie cutters. So maybe not that story. But I know it's Thursday, so you want to go back. To, we'll go back to my history for a second. I'll, I'll deep dive on, on kind of how I started and then talk about other sure. career paths. Maybe that's a better thing to do than a unique deal. So yes. again, um, graduate college, which is 1991 now, dating myself. Um, went to work for a firm. We were, we were tenant rep for um, AT&T. So their AT&T has a variety of garages in the Midwest, 258 of them. Um, that I was responsible for, which is where the, the service trucks, the repair trucks go at, at the end of the night and kind of where they start from at the end of the day. So this was their real estate portfolio. We were an outsourced service provider for them. And, you know, as part of optimizing this portfolio, they were all, you know, kind of these unique single tenant industrial buildings, which, you know, really was just a few thousand square foot building. And then, you know, a variety of vans parked out the back to, you know, fix the wires or the cables or install phone systems or cable, what have you in, in people's houses. Um, you know, that was what the portfolio looked like. And, and so when we were trying to buy these, um, meaning AT&T was trying to buy them from the actual owners of the properties um, to do new to build the suits, to, to relocate, to do a variety of things. They wanted to, you know, buy some of their old facilities. Um, you know, these people were, who had owned them since the fifties and sixties, you know, were reluctant to sell them because, they didn't understand, you know, they want, they loved having the, the phone company, which is what they called it at the time, um, you know, as a tenant. And they didn't want to pay these huge capital gains because they owned these properties for nothing, had depreciated them all the way down. And, you know, like, look, we can't sell because we're not going to pay this huge capital gain. So we appreciate the offer, but no thanks. And I said, well, hold on a minute. Do you know about 1031 exchanges? And, you know, we can find your replacement property with a new brand new property, a brand new lease. You know, it's, it's triple net, not not double net like you have now. You go from, you know, industrial to retail. Um, would you consider doing this? And so they're like, oh, sure, we'll, we'll do that. And so then we ended up buying a bunch of the properties. And in the condition that I would help these people, it wasn't even my job. I was just doing it as a service so we could actually buy the property. And, I, and after doing that for a while, from, you know, tens of locations, I'm like, hold on, there's a, you know, a decent sized market here that no one's really focused on. There wasn't a net lease market at the time. <laughs> It was just properties that were single tenant. <laughs> um, it was not a developed industry like it is today. And, you know, started my own company by 1997. And, you know, obviously started with that client base that was in place and the need that was in place, which was, you know, these AT&T landlords who I still had relationships with. You know, I, I kept calling on the same people and doing the same transactions, moving them into, you know, Walgreens or at the time it was like Kmart and Sears and other <laughs> um, big box tenants, which were investment grade at the time, um, you know, move them into other locations and kind of, you know, had a business for three years, just helping my existing clients um, 
that I already had moving from that to that. And, you know, we, I just stuck to my knitting. I, I believe that, look, I didn't need to be a, I need to be either a small niche focused firm or a large national player. I didn't want to be kind of stuck in between, you know, a little bit of a specialty of anywhere, but not, no, not known for anything. So I'm like, look, we're going to stay small. We're only going to do one thing. We're going to turn down all their business, including, you know, strip centers and three tenants and anything else, even if it's in retail and investment, we're not going to do it. We're just going to do one thing, which, you know, kind of hurt me at the time. People don't like to pass up deals and, and, and move on. But, you know, we, we've kind of stuck with it year in, year out. And, you know, as of last year, you know, we ended up in one of the top 10 firms in the country, despite being a boutique um, that does just net lease investment sales. So, you know, it's a business model that works and we're kind of running it year in, year out. And, you know, after 30 years, you get fortunate enough, to have repeat clients and it turns into a really good business. So, you know, for the, for the people who are starting out out there, which I know is some of your, your audience, you know, my, my, my thing will tell you is, you know, to find a specialty, become known in your specialty and be laser focused on it year in, year out, become an expert in it and an authority. And again, it may take a few years. There is no shortcuts in this, in this business. No shortcuts. But, but uh, it will pay out over time because other people in your office and other people that you know are going to switch firms. They're going to switch, you know, specialties. They're going to switch a variety of things. And, you know, it's very difficult to get ahead when you keep restarting from scratch um, and going back to go every time. So, again, you know, I hate to say it, but grind it out works. And, and you know, it, it will pay off for you over time doing the right thing. Right. Got to stick to it. Got to grind it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. What's the difference between starting out in your days and today? If you have a new broker coming into your to your firm, what is the difference? You see them starting and you see you starting then. What is the difference? Well, it's night and day. I'm certainly going to age myself because, you know, when I started in 1991, it was it was for the most part pre-internet. <laughs> and so uh, the, the, the technology changes I've seen, pre, almost pre-cell phone, um, you know, the technology changes I've seen in the last 30 years have been amazing. So it's a completely different business than it was back then. You know, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't podcast, <laughs> there wasn't LoopNet and CoStar. There was, you know, all kinds of different things you had, you know, a lot more things are done for you today. But again, a lot of things which you can claim competitive advantages are taken away because everyone has access to them. Um, you know, obviously it's what you do with them, meaning, you know, some people can turn podcasts into something, see Shark Eye, and some people can't. Same technology, right? But, you know, it becomes on what you and what you've done. So it's a different, completely different business than it was today. Um, you know, again, I think that it's best to um, start out with, you know, I still think um, starting out with the people you consider to be mentors um, and someone who can teach you the business is better than kind of some kind of system, which may or may not work. You know, big firms have pros and cons, but I don't think they're great at um, taking a lot of people under their wing cause, just because of, the way they're set up. I think boutiques do a better job at that. Again, big firms do a lot Can of Can you explain others. that a little bit? Can you like, uh, well, again, I, I think that's you know, important for people to understand. At, at, at these yeah. bigger firms, you know, a lot of them, they hire 30 people in an effort to keep five to 10. Um, you know, I don't think that's very sincere or authentic. <laughs> you know, I think if you, if you go to a smaller firm, you, we hire one to keep one and we're going to make sure that one person works because otherwise it looks like a failure on us. You know, big firms have, you know, 60% attrition built into their model over five years. Um, yeah, crazy turnovers sometimes, yes. Crazy turnover. I don't know how that's good for business. Again, people don't want to spend the time and effort on you because they don't know if you're part of that 60% or part of the 40% that stays. Um, so it's kind of a business built on, a, on attrition, a business built on churn, you know, a business with, um, you know, fewer people at the top. 
again, I think it may be a firm, a place to sell. You know, if you're focused on national accounts um, and Fortune 500 companies, you know, obviously you have to be at one of these national firms. So again, ends up what you're focused on being. But again, if you're focused on, you know, private investors and high net worth people and family offices, um, I don't see there's competitive advantages of a national firm versus a, a smaller firm. Um, and again, I think you'll get more individual attention because again, at a small firm, it's much more important that you succeed. They've invested in you. <laughs> um, whereas large firms are playing numbers just because they have to by the size of the firm. Listen, this, uh, this is really interesting. And uh, you definitely have a vast, vast experience in this business. And uh, tell us a little bit about how can people reach you, out to you if they're interested, they want, in, they want to invest, they want to get into this world, they want to work in this world, they, they want to buy property, a net lease property. Um, how, can you, how can they reach you guys? The best way to find us is, is our website, bouldergroup.com. There's a contact page with all of our information. Certainly, you can look me up at any of the platforms. LinkedIn is probably the easiest uh, for Randy Blankstein. Um, but again, I, I started a website. You can reach out to me at any, anywhere, anybody that works here. We're all kind of a team. Again, boutique firm. Um, again, you can find us on LinkedIn. Um, those are probably the two best ways to find us, but we're on Twitter. You, and, you, and you guys yeah. deal with cross-country, right? With you know, yeah, all we're, over. Kind of, we're, we're, based in a, we're based in Chicago, but we're, it's a national business for the most part. 68% of um, net, lease, net lease properties. I apologize for that. Uh, it's a deal. It's a deal. <laughs> uh, 68, it's actually an intercom for someone downstairs. 68% yeah. of uh, net lease properties are, are owned by someone who's not in the state in which they buy them. Again, no matter where you are, again, since there's no active management, it doesn't make a difference if you're in a Walgreens in Florida or California. All you're really doing is, at the end of the day, collecting the, collecting the check um, or the wire at this point. So, you know, it's very easy to own properties throughout the country. And, and again, most of them are owned in states which you're not in. And it's very much a national business because it's not based on individual markets. It's based on tenants. Um, so it's unique. It's unique in the commercial real estate field in that way. Some major strip centers are, are set up that way as well. But they involved, you know, getting an asset manager and a property manager, um, which you don't really need to do for net lease for the most part. Right. Randy, it's really been interesting. I really thank you for this. Really, thank you for your time. If you could stick around, I'm going to wrap up the show. If you could stick around for a couple of seconds, I'm going to speak to you right after. But uh, really, thank you very much for being with us. It's been really interesting. And uh, and it was an honor to have someone who has been so many years in the business, has so much knowledge of uh, the least sector. And uh, I wish you really, we, we wish you success to you and your firm. And uh, we'll meet again. We'll meet again. Maybe we'll do something together also. So. Absolutely, absolutely, you as well. I, I appreciate you having me on Shark Eye. Um, it's exciting. You know, I, I listened to your podcast for a while, and uh, thank you. You know, happy to be here. It's a great show, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, it continues to be a great show with great guests in the future. Okay, great. So stick around. I'm, I'm going to talk to you in a second. I'm just going to wrap up things. So, guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this show. Anyways, you guys, just want to remind you about the seven day challenge that you can find right here whether it's below, up, in the bottom, wherever you are, wherever you're watching it, so you can join it and uh, get to know commercial real estate. If you want to know more about the Boulder Group and Randy, you can actually check the links. They're all over the place here. You can actually get there and actually contact Randy directly if you're interested. And uh, what I can tell you is have the most beautiful weekend. Enjoy your weekend, guys. Rest up because on Monday, we're back again. We're back in action. So take care of yourselves. 
and I'll see you guys later. Hey guys, thanks for joining me in this CRE Shark Eye show. I hope you enjoyed it. And go subscribe, download, do whatever you guys need to do. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves.